the race for AI is ramping up. The U.S. grapples to maintain its lead as China picks up the pace. Now a key leader in the area is warning Washington that it can't afford to lose. If we don't win on AI, we risk ceding global influence. A former Secretary of State arriving in Beijing for a surprise visit. Linked to the COVID-19 lab leak theory, the Wuhan Institute is now officially barred from getting U.S. funding. The world's two biggest carbon emitters reigniting talks on climate change. This is not a one-off meeting. But just how crucial are climate talks for China as it swelters under scorching heat waves and devastating floods? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The artificial intelligence race between the U.S. and China is intensifying. An AI prodigy warning lawmakers that Beijing is doubling down on this critical technology. What's at stake if America loses the battle? NTD's Juliet Song has more on that. Beijing is aiming to beat the U.S. in artificial intelligence by 2030. In a hearing on Tuesday, an AI prodigy warned U.S. lawmakers that the Chinese regime is stepping up its efforts. This year, they're in charge to spend roughly three times the U.S. government on AI. Why are big powers competing to be the leader in AI? Just like nuclear weapons in the 60s, artificial intelligence is critical for dominating the battlefield. The country that is able to most rapidly and effectively integrate new technology into warfighting wins. If we don't win on AI, we risk ceding global influence, technological leadership and democracy to strategic adversaries like China. Wang dropped out of MIT when he was 19 and started his own artificial intelligence company, Skill AI. For Wang, the national security mission is deeply personal. I grew up in the shadow of the Los Alamos National Lab. My parents were physicists and worked on the technology that defined the last era of warfare, the atomic bomb. He said the Chinese Communist Party deeply understands the potential for AI to disrupt warfare. I saw this firsthand four years ago when I went on an investor trip to China that was both enlightening and unsettling. China was making rapid progress developing AI technologies like facial recognition and computer vision and using these for domestic surveillance and repression. Though the U.S. does have its advantages over China. I certainly agree that America is the place of choice for the most talented AI scientists in the world. Um, so we certainly continue to have an advantage there. He also noted that the U.S. has access to a large amount of data, but a lot of that is being wasted. We have the largest fleet of military hardware in the world. Uh, this fleet generates 22 terabytes of data every day. Wang said right now, a lot of this data goes on hard drives and get deleted or lost. How to centralize and make good use of this data for AI training is one of the most important things that the Pentagon can do to set up America for decades of leadership in military use. Juliet Song, NTD News. A former U.S. official surprising Beijing with a visit, and Chinese officials are singing his praises. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, now 100 years old, met with Li Shanfu Tuesday. During that meeting, Li encouraged the U.S. to exercise what he called sound strategic judgment in dealing with China. One day later, top Chinese diplomat Wang Yi said Washington needs Kissinger-style diplomatic wisdom in its China policies. Likewise, China quoted Kissinger as saying he was here as a friend of China. Something to note, Kissinger served as U.S. Secretary of State and National Security Advisor under Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. During that time, he pushed for policies that leaned toward appeasing China.
That friendlier approach played a key diplomatic role in the 1970s, as Washington and Beijing normalized their ties. Given that history, Chinese officials received Kissinger warmly, far more so than during recent visits by current U.S. officials, including Climate Envoy John Kerry, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, and Secretary of State Antony Blinken. That's as the Biden administration continues to push for a thaw with Beijing. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller noted that Washington was aware of Kissinger's trip, but that the visit was made as a private citizen, and the former official was not acting on behalf of the U.S. News from the White House. The Biden administration is sanctioning China's infamous Wuhan virology lab over the COVID-19 lab leak theory. Tuesday, Washington formally suspended its funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or WIV. That's according to a government memo. It's among the most drastic actions the U.S. has taken on the issue so far. The decision follows a months-long investigation. In its report, the Department of Health and Human Services stated the move was undertaken due to WIV's failure to provide documentation on its research, requested by the National Institutes of Health, related to concerns that the lab violated biosafety protocols. Going forward, the department is also barring the Wuhan lab from doing business with the federal government. Worth noting, the lab has not received funding from the U.S. government since July 2020. Back to COVID-19's origin, evidence has hinted to the Chinese lab, while Beijing has remained tight-lipped with information about patient zero. Many reporters have been jailed for reporting on COVID-19 in the country. Some of them are still detained in China. Secret police stations in a global campaign of repression, but they're not the full story of Beijing's long arm of lawlessness. A new report exposes even more alarming links between state power and organized criminal networks. Let's dive in. An outlaw alliance, joining officials in Beijing with Chinese mafias in Europe. A report by U.S. nonprofit news site ProPublica details the pattern of cooperation between the two. The underworld figures can be smugglers, human traffickers, or drug dealers. But at the same time, they play a frontline role as the Chinese Communist Party's overseas enforcers. According to the report, the mobsters serve Beijing's police outposts in countries like Italy, Spain, and France. They're sent to hunt down and terrorize dissidents while spying on Chinese communities and turning them into colonies of Beijing's police state. These Chinese triads are unscrupulous, bottomless, and extremely brutal. Those on their radar will suffer horrible persecution. What is Beijing trading for the dark deals? Money and legal backdoors. A U.S. national security official said behind the gangsters are corrupt CCP officials. A 2011 case in Madrid, Spain, involved a local branch of the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. The Chinese state-owned bank was charged with illegally transferring hefty amounts of euros back home. Bank officials allegedly set up a system that allowed criminals to send boxes full of euros to the bank day and night. In another case in 2010, a murder occurred in the Chinese community of Prado, Italy. One of the gang leaders there was reportedly wanted for extortion, yet made it back freely to China, his homeland. Beijing declined cooperation with European inquiries into his crimes. As a state regime, the CCP is directly allied with Western criminal organizations. And that's a whole different story. 
Analysts see Beijing's move as turning itself into a criminal cartel, taking a stand against Western law enforcement. The world's two biggest carbon emitters trying to reignite talks on climate change after almost a year of silence on the subject. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry on Wednesday said more work was needed with China on climate issues. That's after three days of talks in Beijing with senior Chinese officials. At a press conference in Beijing, Kerry called climate issues a universal threat that must be separated from politics. This is not a one-off meeting. He expressed the two superpowers should work on building a broader relationship and urged both sides to, quote, come together in order to do work not just for ourselves but for all mankind. A report finds China emits more greenhouse gas than all developed nations combined. China's emissions are also more than double those of the U.S. The trip marks the first climate meeting since Beijing abruptly suspended cooperation with Washington on the issue last August. The reason largely seen as retaliation for the then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. China claims the self-governing island as its own, despite never having ruled it. Even outside the meeting room, the U.S. envoy's multi-day trip to China is heating up. Scorching temperatures are raging across much of China this week, with experts warning that the extreme temperatures could prove life-threatening. In southern China, temperatures in the city of Chongqing have hit as high as 98 degrees Fahrenheit in recent days and are expected to rise in the coming weeks. This railway station is usually a hub for the city's 30 million people. But right now, it's doubling as a cooling shelter to help keep adults and children out of the intense summer heat. Meanwhile, northern China is also getting scorched. Temperatures soared to 104 degrees in the Chinese capital. This weather is really hot. One Chinese student said she won't leave home without protective clothing. Because it's just too hot, and especially so outside. I must take shelter indoors. In June, Beijing logged over 13 days with temperatures of at least 95 degrees, with highs of over 104 on a few of them. Temperatures are expected to climb even further in July and August. China is also dealing with the impacts of Typhoon Talim, which slammed the southern coast of Guangdong province on Monday night. Extreme weather is putting Chinese citizens to the test. Officials warning the country is especially vulnerable to climate issues because of its huge population and uneven water supply. How big is that problem and what is China doing to tackle it? Let's zoom in. Dramatic swings between extreme heat and intense rainfall are testing China's ability to cope with increasingly wild weather. Concerns are mounting of a repeat of last year's drought, the most severe in 60 years. At its peak, it affected 14 million acres of crops and losses reached billions of yuan. In June, monitoring stations across China smashed records. Northern China has borne the brunt. So how much stress is all this putting on power grids? Heat waves spur demand for electricity to cool homes, malls and offices. That strain on supply can trigger blackouts and force factories to shut. At the same time, drought curbs hydropower, meaning Yunnan in February had to cut its output of aluminum. And last August, hydro-dependent Sichuan province had to mandate power cuts on most industrial users lasting 11 days. To boost power supply, China is approving new coal mines and coal-fired power plants. That could make it much harder for Beijing to achieve its carbon reduction goals.
The intensity of the rainfall has also proven deadly. At least 15 people were killed in early July by heavy rains, but floods also threaten food, China's crucial wheat and rice crops. This year, the worst rains in a decade struck central wheat fields just before the harvest, leaving 15% of the crop unfit for human consumption. The southern province of Hunan produces about 13% of China's rice, which officials say could wash away rice pollen and devastate production. But what is China doing to tackle all this? In 2015, China launched a sponge city pilot to reduce waterlogging and prevent floods with permeable asphalt and sidewalks. But it's not clear how effective they'll be in major floods. Another big story to look out for, China's stringent zero COVID-19 policy might be history, but the consequences are far from over. A late cremation count now giving us a glimpse into how deadly the infection truly is. But those numbers swiftly scrubbed after release. What's behind this mysterious data? And what does it say about the real story of the pandemic? That report and more coming up tomorrow on China In Focus. Ten years ago, my mom was behind bars and my father was trying his best to save my mom. Ten years later, my father is behind bars. My mom and I are trying our best to save my father. The policeman threatened to jail and told me, he even told me, it would be a shame for your baby to grow up without a mother. I'm in U.S. My father is in China. This whole government, with all the power and with all the money, are persecuting my father, and I'm 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 just nobody. They're using humans as guinea pigs to supply organs, either for their own domestic supply or to export them. There is evidence of genocide here. They're unspeakable. These things were unspeakable. They say, well, maybe this is not affecting United States citizens. It definitely is. It definitely is. And I think that the creep happens very, very quickly if you let it, because they want us to be more like them, not them to be more like us. It should concern everybody in America that they're penetrating that far into the middle of our country. We are collaborating with a regime that's on a par with the Nazis, and we are profiting by that. If that hand was being extended to you with the blood on it, would you be so willing to extend your hand in friendship or in business partnership or even in diplomatic partnership? So the big moral question of our time, are we going to do the right thing or are we going to suffer that same persecution? Twenty-four years of oppression. This July 20th marks another year of persecution of Falun Gong adherents in China. Must demand that China end this practice. Watch thousands of people commemorating the victims this anniversary. Join us live for NTD's live coverage of the 2023 parade to end the persecution of Falun Gong. But coming up today, is China's economy in deep trouble? The country's second quarter GDP seems to be falling short of expectations, coupled with record high youth unemployment. Other headwinds blocking growth, a shrinking population and slowing productivity. Economists say China is entering a balance sheet recession. But what would really happen if the Chinese economy collapsed? 
We sat down with Peter Navarro, former White House trade advisor during the Trump administration and co-author of Death by China for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Conditions in the world's number two economy are looking grim. Now, by many metrics, China's economy is in crisis. From negative sentiment among businesses and job seekers to the COVID-19 pandemic and a plunge in the property sector. What's the full scope of China's economic pain and how could it spill over to the U.S.? We speak to Peter Navarro, former White House trade advisor during the Trump administration and co-author of Death by China for more. Peter Navarro, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. My pleasure, Grace. How are you today? And Peter, it seems right now China's economy isn't doing too well. We just saw the GDP growth was actually 0.8% from April to June. How does that impact us here in America? It's good for America. The economic relationship with China basically is a parasitic relationship. We run a very large trade deficit with them, and so it's very hard uh, for us to generate prosperity when they're draining jobs and factories from here. The, the central problem with the Chinese economy now is Xi Jinping. Uh, he's he raised the specter of invading Taiwan. He's punished American corporations inside the borders, Japanese corporations, and there's a flight of capital outside from China, and that's suppressing uh, the kind of growth they depended on for like three or four decades. And Peter, I want to zoom in on the U.S.-China relations. It seems right now Climate Envoy John Kerry is the latest to visit China. This follows Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Secretary of State Antony Blinken recently. And Peter, you've dealt with the Chinese Communist Party before. What surprised yeah. you most in that? The game plan which they tried to pull with us um, is talks. They love to talk. Uh, because the status quo favors China. The status quo economically is one in which they engage in all sorts of mercantilist trade policy. I call them the seven deadly sins. It's the counterfeiting and piracy, the forced technology transfer, the currency and manipulation, the state-owned enterprises. And they are just totally resistant to any kind of change. So what, what happened with us is they tried that 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 garbage and Trump would impose tough tariffs and sanctions on them. So it didn't work with us. But now um, what I see with Bi the Biden negotiations, first it was Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, then it was Treasury Secretary uh, Yellen, now it's Kerry, um, they are falling into the Chinese trap of, of endless negotiations. And Peter, speaking of these endless negotiations, how should U.S. officials deal with China? Well, look, uh, the, the lesson of the Trump administration uh, was simply that they want to talk endlessly. And even when you get them to agree to something, they don't abide by that. So what that is simply is a recipe for decoupling the economy of the United States and China going about our business, imposing tariffs and sanctions until China behaves in a way uh, which is inside rather than outside international norms. 
there's really no point in talking with the Chinese. The Chinese only understand doing. And that's what Donald Trump did. That's what Joe Biden is not doing. Uh, and that's how you deal with communist China. How risky is doing business in China now? Well, I, I go back to uh, circa 2008, uh, shortly after I wrote my first book on China called The Coming China Wars. And uh, before I got canceled out there by the woke corporations, I used to go out and speak to a lot of corporations. And if I had a dime for every corporate executive who came up to me, like with tears in their eyes about how they'd gone over to China to get rich and found all their trade secrets and, and uh, uh, blueprints stolen, I'd be a rich man right now. Um, this has been going on for a very long time, but it's, it's an escalation now. And it, it's really insane for any foreign nation to invest on Chinese shores anymore. There's simply too much geopolitical risk. Any American company operating um, in there is going to have the same fate as what happened when, when Hitler went into Poland and started World War II. And on that note, it does seem we are seeing kind of two different messages. We saw Elon Musk there recently, Bill Gates being warmly welcomed by Xi Jinping, China's Communist Party leader. How do you read that dynamic? Well, Bill Gates is is treasonous. That man is not an American. Um, his company, Microsoft, is at the cutting edge of helping communist China do research on artificial intelligence, which is uh, going to be one of the most deadly tools of modern warfare we have ever seen. And he does that without compunction. They think they're well-intentioned, but their instincts are just dead wrong. They're destroying not just this country, but the world. Microsoft went over there and helped the communist Chinese not only build up AI, but also their great firewall of China, and shame on them. The people who have gone to prison, who have been otherwise tortured or, or censored or, or pushed down in communist China because they got caught speaking out freely on the internet, that's on Yahoo, that's on Microsoft, that's on Google, that's on these American companies went over there to make a buck and wound up selling their souls to the dragon. As you pointed out, it seems Americans are the ones getting harmed here. I think the message now is clear. Uh, there's, there's danger. It's coming within the next several years. It's sooner now rather than later. And China is simply no longer a place where any kind of foreign investment uh, should go, unless perhaps it's Russian or Iranian. Peter Navarro, thank you so much for your time. Good to be with you guys. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.